This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by the official Skink of the Month Club at Not Too Many Power Crystals. Looking for a skink on a monthly basis? Look no further than the official Skink of the Month Club at Not Too Many Power Crystals. Looking for slabs of agate, slices of amethyst, or sparkling crystals? The official Skink of the Month Club and Not Too Many Power Crystals has got you covered. The official Skink of the Month Club and Not Too Many Power Crystals. Always welcome. Always crystals. Always skinks. Your no frills is whack. And now on with the show. Purchase your own groceries. You will be... You will live in the no frills. I don't think... Oh... I don't think that that's true because No Frills stores are so ugly. Why would you make a store that shade of yellow and then pound it with fluorescent lights? Sobeys is not, like, they're hot on the heels of just... Why don't we have the design. teapot over here? Well, where are we going to put it? I didn't really want to put it on the table. You can put it on the table. We've put it on the table before. It does the hoochie-coochie a little bit, but... I was also really tempted, maybe we will in the future, to do a sponsorship by uh, Goat Yoga. We'll see if we can get what about goat, goat yogurt. yogurt? We'll see if we can get either or both of them to sponsor us. Um, anyways, welcome to the show, everybody. Is that that seemed a little soon. Can we not pretend that there's nobody here with us for a little while? Longer? There is nobody here with us. I, we haven't just talked for a long time as brothers. That's true. Grant has been uh, life so busy. Yeah, I don't know. What have I been? I don't know. Uh, Working. Yeah. At work? He's been at work. I've been out doing different things. I'm working like every other week for now. So that's like half the equation. And then uh, the other week I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, uh, we, got, we got snakes with human traits. Don't do a black person voice on this podcast. That wasn't. That, that was, was a Hannibal Buress voice. Is that not... Like I could do a Hannibal Buress in case. Also, here's the thing. Also, so I could do an hey, Irish hey, hey, accent. Hey, hey, and that'd hey, be fine, hey, hey. right? Yeah, because you're kind of Irishy. Also, it's it is pronounced Hannibal Burris. I think I did know that because I've heard him do stand up. That's before. how he says it. Yeah. Well, he could you be need wrong. To stop calling him Buress because it sounds like a cheap blender. Buress? No, yeah. it doesn't. Actually, no. It sounds it like sounds cheap like alone. What it sounds like is so I'm reading. Uh, the French Lieutenant's Woman by John Fowles, um, kind of against my will. Are you liking will. that? Okay, here's the thing. Here's a micro review. So, um, for school, I have to read this book. It's written in 1967 by one of the great fathers of postmodernism, in a lot of people's opinions, John Fowles. Um, <coughs> and it is a book set in a Victorian era. <coughs> I'm only about halfway through it. I'm so sorry. It's a romantic. It, it's a romance. It's a story about. I said that really weird. It's a romance. It's a romance. <laughs> it's a romance. It's a story of like a Victorian love hey, triangle. It's a romance. And it's such a hot and cold book. Sorry. It's famed for the author, like as John Fowles, jumping in to comment on the characters, his lack of control of the characters, um, discrepancies between the era in which he writes and the era in which it's set. And it's kind of a novel about how he can't write the novel. And it really is trippy. And sometimes I find myself really loving it for its quirks and 
the little idiosyncrasies of the characters in the story are really cool and I find myself getting really immersed in it. But it's also at times so self-indulgent that Oh really? It's just You don't say Yeah. And I mean I'm not a romance novel person, so it's really hot and cold. Um you could be given worse to read for Shakespeare, for school. I'm just glad it's not Shakespeare. That was a Freudian slip right there. You could be worse um, you to could, given Shakespeare. Yeah, you could be given Shakespeare to read in school, which would be, you know, really bad. It would be worse. Super yeah. bad. Um, so I don't know. I'm learning a lot. But yeah, I got to read a lot of that tomorrow. I, I have. I've been so stalled on reading, uh, just in general. I, because I just. And I come home from work and then I just fall asleep. You gotta, like, you gotta go out for a walk or, I know you're outside all day, or exercise or something because you will be so much more invigorated. I also exercise all day. Yeah, but it's different. Walk a mile in my shoes, why don't you? Okay, I'm gonna go into your work tomorrow. Okay, please No one will be there. Yeah, go in on Saturday, you can work. They'd be glad to have you. But I just, I need to, I need to make it more of a priority, my reading. Because I I miss it greatly, and I've been stru- uh, struggling in writing. It's fair to say, fighting the words. <laughs> Did you get a new guitar strap? Uh, no, not at all. Where, where's that one from on the ground? I've had it for a while. I don't recognize it. Huh? I've never really used it. Oh. Um. What have we? I guess I have a couple things to mention i think um i just have to think of exactly what they are i'm still working my way slowly through the fourth season of peaky blinders um i'm only i've still only watched like three episodes of it Seriously, i've got the Um, last one to watch and that's it i'm just really slow with watching stuff i watch one or two movies like i sit down to watch tv whether that's movies or a tv show like once or twice a week um and between the podcast and movie nights we have, that's like more or less that. So I need to set aside some time for it though, because I always like every time I sit down to watch that show, I'm like, this show is so good. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm in the gray zone where I'm pretty close to getting to the point where I get less engaged because it's been it's probably been like a mo- good month since I watched an episode. So I need to make sure that doesn't happen. S- speaking of this, I like almost well, I did pretty much completely forget about Twin Peaks. Oh yeah, no kidding. I completely... That I'm was just, your thing for a while. I, oh, it's so good. But I totally... I don't know... I don't know why... Well, I do know why. It's because it was one of those things where I would throw it on and then Dad would just sit in the armchair and just just make fun of the show for the entire duration it was on. And I... But isn't it supposed to be like a quirky show? It's supposed to be super... It's David Lynch. Of course yeah. it's weird. No, but I mean, like, nobody made it and went like, oh, this is authentic. Yeah, but Jason, like, nothing takes you out of an experience like somebody sitting behind you making fun of the experience. While you're trying true. to sit there and you're trying to take that's it in... That's been my whole the, life. And all the weirdness. Yeah. What are you talking about? My entire life, people are just like... Uh, you are so full of you're garbage. You're going to wear that shirt with those shoes. You are um, so full of trash. You've had one of the most supported you call that cat a friend of uh, all time. Um, uh, that's such a bad yeah, way to start off the show. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, let's start again. <laughs> hey, Where everybody. It's Grant and Jason here. Um, that's enough. <laughs> it's just-
let's just once you hit the burp basically what's happened is i've gotten really embarrassed and we need to end this conversation as quickly as possible and leave moment of silence for the podcast that we just killed yeah so i'm thinking we have Brothership, the only arts podcast to cover film, music, gaming, literature, and skinny dipping uh, with your dog. I'm Grant, and this is my brother, Jason. Uh, Jason, what are we talking about today? Exactly? Today, we are talking about the, I think it's 2014 film Nightcrawler, yeah. and the 1981 debut album by the punk band Black Flag, which is Damaged. I think it's a pretty good pairing, actually. I think the two of them go together in, in a weird way. One of them is better than the other. Let's flip the puppet. <laughs> I think... I think. Wait, 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 wait. So, it's for sure that Black Flag should be face, face down. down. Face down? Face down. It's one of the first times we've disagreed. Yeah, let's fight. Uh, Black Flag can should be face down. Wrestle? Let's thumb no, wrestle. We can't arm, we can't arm we can wrestle. wrestle. I can... I'll whoop your... Yeah, no, you Oh, won't. so we're going... Okay, but no, we'll are go, we going... Just a thumb wrestle. But we're going, somebody's dominant hand is... Yeah, it can be your dominant hand, it's fine. Let's okay. go up here. Okay, let's, well, okay. <laughs> okay, one, gonna... two, three, four, I declare a thumb war. <sighs> oh, we're so sweaty already. <laughs> this bodes poorly. <laughs> Why are you so slippery? Did you lotion up? You know what, I'll concede it to you. What are you talking? You you cheap little rat. Okay, well, I I could feel the W coming. I feel like you were probably gonna win. Oh my lord! I got to see He flew so far afield. It is face down. So I guess that's black flag by your law. That would be black flag. Okay. Are we gonna? Should I? Yeah, I you guess I, I'll, I'll start. Let me read the you, Wikipedia you page. Gotta read the wiki. Because uh, for once, I have the power. Thanks. <laughs> Damaged is a debut studio album by the American hardcore punk band Black Flag. SST Records released it on December 5th, 1981. Over the years since the album's original release, it has been recognized as a punk classic and one of the most influential punk records ever made by appearing on a number of best-of lists by punk fans and critics alike. In 2003, the album was ranked number 340 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all, all time. Not like that's... That doesn't mean yeah. anything. Pitchfork also ranked it number 25 on its list of the top 100 albums of the 1980s. I'm honestly, every time... I um, want to tell you an adage about this album. Every time an album it. makes it onto the Rolling Stone top 500 list, I'm just surprised because... Because most of that top 500 is the discography of Jimi Hendrix, yeah. who, who released like mm-hmm. four albums, and somehow they stretch that out for about 400 slots of the dis, of the of the greatest albums. So check. I want to read this. We normally wouldn't go I'm this in blow, depth. To I'm the... gonna blow my nose. Hold on, please. All right. 
So I normally wouldn't go this deep in the Wikipedia page, but I read this this afternoon. It was so interesting. I was like, what? Okay, check this out. Uh, Blackfly's distribution deal with Unicorn, which was associated with MCA Records, resulted in an initial pressing of 25,000 copies. This is a a little long, so stick with me. It's worth it. MCA Records president Al Bergamo listened to the album prior to release and claimed that it was, quote, anti-parent, unquote. (laughs) although he never cited a specific lyric that led him to that conclusion. As a result, MCA refused to distribute the already pressed and packaged album, which bore an MCA distributing core logo on the lower right corner of the back cover. Black Flag members had to personally visit the pressing plant and apply a sticker over the MCA logo, which read, quote, As a parent, ellipses, I found it, I found it an anti-parent record, unquote thus essentially throwing Bergamo's words back in his face. So they had to go to the pressing plant and put these stickers over the record uh, company's Uh, logo. Black Flag, as a band, really... Not only do they trailblaze a lot of stuff for punk, but I understand they trailblaze a lot of stuff for band promotion and guerrilla marketing tactics and that sort of thing. And uh, they've been very influential in that. As well as, you know, obvious musical influences. So, um, punk punk music of this ilk, like true, like classic punk, where the guitars sound like chainsaws, and everybody's, you know, an untrained musician who's just playing super hard. The singer's screaming his guts out, um, and uh, the production's all kind of like buzzy and you know. Uh, muddy and arguably low, not low very fine. good by nothing, nothing, yeah like the music's not very good quote unquote um is really neither of our wheelhouse no and it just kind of struck me um that this would be an interesting album for us to review because it is way far outside both of our comfort zones yeah it's not that we don't like heavy music it's not like we don't like aggressive music it's just that this particular Hardcore punk. Hardcore punk, but like classic hardcore punk. Raising the listen, Machine is the closest I would get normally. Or like 68 is is really not that far removed. No, but they're a little bit more... Like the production is really good. I would say well, there's yeah. a little bit more musical... Not musical freedom, but musical variation in something like 68. There's more space just in general, which also comes just from being a two-piece, right? Um, it doesn't feel... It doesn't have this like... When I listened to this album, I was like, it feels so, like, hot and cramped. You know what I mean? It's very like, much so. It's there's very, everything going on all the really time. It's really sweaty. <laughs> it's, very, it's a very sweaty music. It reminds me of uh, when we had that one camp out a while ago. We had that massive tent. It was, like, a 12-man tent. Um, maybe it was even bigger. Maybe it was, like, a 15-man tent. But we actually exceeded. We had, like, 17 people in a 15-man <laughs> tent. And anyone who knows anything about Which tents knows that normally you, like, half the recommended it's number. It's like having a tiny bowl yeah. full of wet cereal. Yeah, and I mean, it was all these guys who were, like, probably ages 12 to 17-ish, something like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was like, you go in there and it's just, like, everything going on all the time. You the know? floor is moving. Yeah, exactly. That's what listening to the album was like. It is. It really is. So, really not our wheelhouse. We're both out of our element. But since this album is so instrumental to punk, I thought that it would be a worthwhile listen to check out. Just inform ourselves as to... Punk's punk's roots, I suppose. Hardcore punk, specifically. Uh, And uh, 
after a cursory listen, I could. It, it was interesting because you and I have listened to maybe I would say the direct dis, or not descendant, sorry, predecessor to like this album, which would be the Clash. And I love the Clash. We both love the Clash. And while I was listening to uh, this album, I could hear really, especially in Henry Rollins' vocal performance, um, it's just a really, you know, turned up, overheating version of Joe Strummer on some Ooh. of these tracks in his delivery, his just kind of like garbled, screaming, uh, you know, half making sense kind of delivery that really you know is high octane and it's still exciting and it still works for what he's trying to express today um certain certain aspects of the album do sound really dated but not in a way that really harms them what harms this album is the um hormonal punk um trappings of the it's not a phase mom you know it's, you know newfound glory and green day posters and eyeliner my and, chemical romance <laughs> and studded leather and all all this sort of thing that's not you know it's the aesthetics of punk mm-hmm. the aesthetics of punk have made punk bloated and more laughable much like the aesthetics of like country music Mm. Have now made country music something that you love or you hate. This for the, thing could be said for a number of genres, right? Even like well, rap, pretty much. Yeah, pretty too. much all of them. That, this is the thing: is when punk started off in this scene in the early '80s, coming off the back of like disco and mm-hmm. and funk and that sort of thing. It was a it was a Molotov cocktail through the window of of you know top forty and. At this point now, it's become so... It, we've all developed an immunity to it. Everyone's, like, moved past it almost. Everybody, well, yeah. Well, not everybody. everybody everybody's just kind of used to it. And, yeah. yep, there's punk. And then at a certain point, popular culture accepts and adapts it and steals certain and things And dilutes from it. it. <laughs> yeah, and steals certain things from it, like the, you know, the aesthetic, the look. Um, okay. On, on the fantastic and... No doubt, you know, everybody pretty much who's listening to this has seen the YouTube channel Hot Ones, mm-hmm. where they do fantastic interviews with celebrities while they're eating. I never watched the whole one with Henry Rollins. Seriously? Seriously. And tomorrow, maybe. That's actually kind of disappointing. I'm sorry. Uh, they, interview, guest, they interview celebrities while they're eating increasingly hot wings. Henry Rollins, who's the singer on this album, is interviewed, and uh, he, as part of the interview, he is asked to pass judgment on... Which popular culture icons of now are and aren't punk? Because as the interviewer uh, Sean Evans says, um, a lot of stuff claims to be punk now. Yeah. And that's part of the problem, right? Yeah. This album is Is absolutely punk. punk. And I was trying to think about what made it more punk than a lot of stuff that's come after it. And, And I've realized that good punk doesn't take itself seriously. Good punk has a tongue-in-cheek um, attitude that knows that the anger and the rage that it has is a little bit silly as well. Yeah. They know that they're fighting this machine 
you know, be it, you know, capitalism or parents. Yeah. Or anything like that. They're fighting this machine with a machine of their own. And that machine's punk. And they know that that's, it's a kind of... That was gross. That was I doubt that that up. came through the mic, but it was a gross, like, Shoot. squeak. Um, they know that punk is a Trojan horse, in a way. A Trojan yeah. ho- You know, it's just a style of music to facilitate an ideology. Yeah. And I feel like to... <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. I think for me, at least, to really enjoy it, you kind of have to acknowledge that it's more than a little over the top. Like, I feel like that's... 100%. That's, if, it, if it wasn't over the top, would it be punk? Like, probably not. Yeah. Um, and I... Th- but... And that's, you know, I think that they're self-conscious of that sort of thing on this album. And I think that they play with that and they play it up and they, you know... And I think that those things lead to a far more bulletproof execution than, say, later bands had when they did this very straight-faced, you know, we are serious punks. Yeah. Because being a serious punk is a complete, you know, oxymoron. Even you look... As an aside, bulletproof execution is a great name for a punk band. That's true. Bulletproof execution. Take take note of that, kids. Um, And I was thinking, too, while you were saying that, you look at Muse, definitely not a punk band, but parallels in terms of, like, their fight against capitalism. And you, you know what I mean. They're against the machine and yeah. the man, um, even though their genre is different. But I feel like they're an example of somebody like that who kind of took themselves too seriously. And look at them now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Pride does come before a fall in terms of... And also... um. The cooler you think you are, the less cool you you become. Yeah. It's just true. Everybody oh, yeah. knows people who think that they're really cool. Everybody knows that one person who was really cool for a long time, and then they kind of clicked into the idea that, yeah, I'm cool. And then they just, it all completely fell apart. You know? Yeah. You're probably picturing somebody. I definitely know people who have never thought about being cool, and they're like the coolest people ever. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of the idea here. Yeah. I mean... It's it's there's a rebellious streak, but the rebellion is also it's not just rebellion in terms of anger, but it's rebellion in terms of we are going to do this and we're going to have fun. Yeah, and I think that that's a really beautiful thing. Um, the, another thing that I really enjoyed about this album was that there is, and I know that this has been kind of widely talked about, so I'll I'll glaze over a little bit, but in the context of this podcast, it does. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot more musical surface here to grab a hold of than there is in a lot of punk mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. There are time changes. There are actual guitar solos, which were considered very um, unpunk. You know, oh, you're showing off. You're showing off your skill. That's not punk. You know, punk is universal, man. But because these guys don't actually give a rip about what it, what the punk rules, quote unquote, are. Because what's less punk than rules, you know? Um, they really pull that off, and I think it really worked to the album's benefit. Um, the the lyrics, to me, could be considered lacking some abstract or some poetic qualities, maybe. I mean, viewed in light of what we've been talking about, the aesthetics of punk that have been stolen by popular culture... You could argue that the lyrics are a little juvenile, but I think that might be the point. What is the point of punk if it's not shooting point blank at its target? 
It's what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I thought about this too, and my review will be shorter because I'm getting a lot of it out now. Um, it kind of reminds me of Thundercats album "Drunk" that we we just talked about it really briefly last year. Um, yeah, and we talked about it's like this super not balanced album. It didn't really hit our radars for album of the year whatsoever. But I said about it that may perhaps no album last year. Um, was more successful at hitting its goal because it was just supposed to be like this fun kind of half jam session, half experiment, and it pulled it off super well. And I think in a similar vein, like I don't think Black Flag set out to make you weep or make you ponder these deep thoughts. Mm-hmm. I think they made you go like, we're going to watch TV and have a couple of brews. Oh my you know? goodness. Okay. And I was like, you know what? That's okay. <laughs> Can we talk about that song now? Yeah. The song we're talking about is TV, TV Party. Party. Did you find that song hilarious? It was... It really not, grows not on Not a Canadian band, but I was like, this just sounds it so sounds Canadian. so Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> and that song, like, really grew on me after yeah. a couple listens, and I find it now to be hilarious. It's, like, almost quotable in the way that, like, a comedy is quotable. Yeah. We got nothing better to do than watch TV and have, have a couple, couple of brews. And, it's, yeah, it's like, and then the it's TV like, breaks, and then they've got, we've got, what, what's the final course? We've got nothing to do with no TV and, and just, just a couple, couple of brews. <laughs> and then there are guys in the background like, we're going to miss our favorite show. <laughs> See, that's what I mean. I'm like, I feel like the lyrics were suitable. They were, they're bad. Like, that, by and large, like not that, that song. Like, well, it's, it's like when we wrote, and people who subscribe to us on YouTube may have seen our, like, Christmas-themed co- cover of... Alex Cameron's fantastic song Candy May, which we wrote as Candy Cane. You wrote it, and uh, well, you probably helped a bit. And uh, then the the second verse starts off with a really lazy ode to pumpkin pie that just ends up rhyming pie with pie and that kind of thing. That's exactly the kind yeah. of humor that's within some of these songs, and uh, especially in like TV Party. Some of my other favorite songs were Six Pack. Um, which is a great song, and what I see. The opener is really good too. Really heavy. I wish I remember yeah. the opener. Um, there, there is a wit and a real, like, evident tongue-in-cheek nature that does fly in the face of the serious tongue-in-cheek yeah. of punk bands that followed. Um, it, it, while I was listening to it. On Spotify, we use the free version of Spotify because that's how no. we roll. Um, the album was interrupted by like ads for GMC pickup trucks, and that really added to the experience. If you can listen to this album with ads in between <laughs> the tracks, absolutely do because there is nothing that will make you feel more punk than going, "Oh, another stinking ad!" You know, and then the next down with the man. Yeah, exactly. No, but seriously, it really added Long something. live the man. Also, one there other is, interesting there, and and uh, at the end of the day, considering this album, there is something to be said for a fifteen track album that clocks in at under thirty five minutes. That's unbelievable. Something. Anyway, I just want to close. Then you can start. I really like the album as a statement. Is it something that I'll be throwing on all the time? No. I still do find some of the music a little abrasive, and it is a victim of its own success in later years. But 
um, I can only imagine time and place how completely reality shifting an album like this would be. Yeah. Those are my thoughts. This was, at first I thought this was going to be a hard review because this really isn't my kind of music. Um, and I, but then I was like, well, if this was a real show, this would be so hard to review. But this is the Good Shape Brothership, so I can just say what I think, and it doesn't have to be a good review. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, the band is, in a way, to an extent, kind of an amalgam of like Rage Against the Machine, 68, and The Clash. Just if you kind of threw it in a blender. Yeah. Even though I realize two, it came before two, all of them yeah. except The Clash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I, but I, and I like all three of those bands definitely more than I like Black Flag. But it should also be noted that all three of those bands were grower bands. Especially The Clash I notoriously hated for like a year plus. Just up until like six months ago. Well, I guess. No, it was like that. a year. Cause you it was last summer. Yeah. Um, when they started to really grow on me. So... Bearing in mind for this entire review, in a year, I might come back and be like, Black Flag's the greatest thing ever. Um, there's a lot I really appreciate about this album, and I think I'll come back to it in the future and it'll grow on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was impressed by the instrumentation at times just because it was mildly impressive. I totally expected it would just be like, next track. And it wasn't. And it wasn't mind-boggling, but given the genre, given the time and place, I think it rose above my expectations, at least. Um, they certainly did more than they had to. Yeah. Also, I'm such a sucker for just, like, when I'm in the right mood, just, like, the overactive drums and stuff like that. Like, the drums it's that are just... probably not a good call, but just, like... Yeah, oh, yeah. And then the bass comes in. I'm like, you know... I feel like it's fine to have fun sometimes. Yeah. And I feel like this is, like, a fabulous album for that. Um, his vocals, I find hard to get around. I get they're influential. I get they're kind of an evolution and adaptation of what Joe Strummer did earlier, except angrier and more. Um, but that was my biggest barrier to the clash then, and I've just gotten over that. And then this is like... I'm not ready. Yeah, it's like you finally climb, like, an 8-foot wall, and then there's, like, a 15-foot wall in front of you. It's like, mm, I don't know. So that was definitely a barrier to my enjoyment. Um, like we said, the writing was entertaining sometimes. Mostly it was super average, which is fine. TV party's um, so good. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that they didn't take themselves too seriously, which we also discussed. Um, and, and within that not taking themselves too seriously is the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And that is why I said bulletproof execution. Because as soon as you go, oh, by the way, wink, wink, what, nudge, nudge, we know. Yeah. What can we say? For sure. And one thing I struggled with a little bit, and I still don't know if this is something, excuse me, that I should complain about or not, is on one hand, so I was going through the tracks, I was like, on one hand, I think they're kind of samey, even though the whole album's only 35 minutes. Mm -hmm. I was like, I feel like you could have cut like three tracks from this. But at the same time, when I was listening to the album and doing something else, it was just like Black Flag, you know? It was like, it all kind of sounds the same, but isn't it all supposed to kind of sound the same? So, I don't know if that's a complaint or not. I'm like... I mean, when you gotta think, when you're going, when you're making a punk album, you're not, you're not making... 
the the album you're making is not supposed to be this wide ranging textural yeah. exploration. What you're making is just a fist. Yeah. You know, and and you know you, a, you aim it at no, you aim it at at whoever you you so choose. You mm-hmm. know, and it's not. You know, the musical nuance is maybe yeah. slightly left behind. So, I am torn in that respect because I feel like, out of musicality, a couple tracks could definitely be cut. But as a punk album, I feel like you can just get away with basically everything. You really <laughs> That's can. what it comes down to. If you're good. Um, I think this is an album I could only really love in like a very specific mood. And I think that's okay. And I think, I think I'll probably like it more in the summer and then less again next winter. Um, but we'll see. Overall, yeah, I think that's basically it. Um, mostly fine for me, but yeah, that's it. I said most of my thoughts already. Do you want me to start Nightcrawler? Well, do you want to start I? Nightcrawler? I don't know. Either if you do that, here's. I was thinking of this too because if hold on, same... hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, you're not gonna be able to see any of my review for Nightcrawler, but I just made a note of a single word that I couldn't remember when I was writing the review for Nightcrawler while we were watching Nightcrawler. Wait, wait, wait. was it? Uh... No, what I want you to try and do is read. I just wrote it down. I okay. want you to try and okay. read this. Okay. Yay. <laughs> Euphoric? Yes! Very good. For there being... It looks like EA-phonic. I don't know what I did. The only thing I was thinking of, we can do it however you want. If the same person leads, then you just get the same person... Then you get a little thoughts from both people. Um, I mean, I've led both of them in the past, so I don't really care. Do whatever you want. I think that's what we've been doing. Yeah, I know, but is that a good idea? I don't know. You you lead this one, and we'll discuss it. You know what else there is to think about? What? It's the Gabber Jabber. Jabber. It's your weekly uh, recommendation coming hot at you. That's what you did. (laughs) You're like, it's your weekly. (laughs) I did not do that. (laughs) In what way did I do that? (laughs) I was doing it. No way that I did that. I was speaking. <laughs> like, it's your weekly Less suit. So. <laughs> oh man, stomach cramp. Oh, you sound so stupid. <laughs> Would you believe it, folks, that I've been the one drinking? <laughs> okay, you do the okay, same. I need gentlemen. to get some water. It's the, it's the Gabber Jabber. get some water. It's your weekly wreck. Oh, boy. Okay, get out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so sorry. It's the Gabber Jabber. Welcome to the Gabber Jabber. Uh, sponsored, brought to you by Jonathan Gabber. The first person to email in to our email address, which is uh, thegoodshipbrothership at gmail.com. If you have anything you'd like to add, any thoughts, have you listened to Damage by Black Flag? Maybe you hate Damage by Black Flag. Maybe you like Green Day and you're offended by some of the things that I implied about them. Uh, either way, 
or if you just want to say hi. We've got listeners from weird parts of the world, uh, from America. We got listeners from France, which is a strange and beautiful thing that we don't understand at all. If you're listening to this uh, to this show, you don't know us personally, or or if you do know us personally and you know that we love you very much, please send us an email, and we'll respond to you. We'll read it on the show. We'll probably get it tattooed on our bodies, and it'll be. It'll be a lovely thing. Uh, now the this this episode's Gabber Jabber Netflix f- via Canada recommendation is Memento by Christopher Nolan, which is a really fantastic, mind bending, psychological thriller about a man who has lost his memory and must, uh, through the use of tattoos and Polaroid photographs. He must attempt to, uh, to, hello, welcome back. He must attempt to complete a mission that uh, he is constantly forgetting because he has no ability to form new memories. It's a really cool film based off the short story, I believe, called Memento Mori, written by Christopher Nolan's brother, actually. I didn't even know this. His brother, Christopher Nolan's brother, is a writer and has written... Um, not just, not just the basis for Memento, but also one or two of his other... Batman? Yeah, he did invent Batman. Um... Do you know what Memento Mori means? It means live for a day. No. I have no idea. It means remember to die. (laughs) Um, so, uh, yeah, if, if you get a chance to check out Memento, I highly recommend it. Uh, if you're watching it around the folks, be aware that there's quite a bit of swearing, and that's pretty much it. But it, yeah, if if you're a fan of Inception and uh, and other kind of like mind bending films, definitely check this one out. It's it's a bit of a gimmick, perhaps, but I think it's a gimmick that really pays off, and I think it's an extremely entertaining watch if you're in the mood to sit down and focus on something. So, have you have you checked our email address recently? I don't have access to it. <laughs> I haven't checked it recently, and it just occurred check to me right that well, maybe we have... Let me check it, if you're signed in, Well, uh, you Jason, there's no Wi-Fi. Shoot. The wi- our Wi-Fi is completely conked out. It's stone, it's, okay. it's stone dead, ladies well, and gentlemen. Uh, unfortunately, after we set up that avenue for people to contact us, we uh, haven't checked it. <laughs> well, I haven't gotten any notifications from it on my oh, phone, okay. and it's linked to my personal account. Okay. So I would get... These chairs are so loud. Mine's not as much. I, okay. I think I would get a notification, unless that's kind of mm-hmm. farted. You know about. who else got notifications? Lewis Bloom in Nightcrawler. Am I going to... Yeah, you can. So then do you want to... I was hoping you would pick up on... I don't know. I was trying to... Do you no. want to read the Wikipedia? Oh, yeah. For Nightcrawler. Hang on a second, everybody. Sorry. We're kind of new to this. We're all wait. We're so. I got one of those. This is the twenty. You know, you get a bit of film film in your throat sometimes, and you don't know why. Okay, you want to know what happened to me before we recorded? I just want to say two things. First of all, this is going to be a long episode. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Secondly, this is such a good episode. (laughs) You just think it's a good episode because you did something stupid and you started laughing. No. Yeah, that is the album discussion was really good. I feel really good. 
literally all you need to feel good about an episode is something that amuses you that you do. <laughs> That's yeah. literally your criteria for whether or not an episode is good. <laughs> I wrote did, down the time codes that we can go listen did to. Did Jason it right do after. something stupid? Did Jason laugh at Jason? Yes. <laughs> I want to get out of here right after so I can hear that. You did. Like, I exaggerated it, but you did a little bit of, like, I a, you did a bit. A little bit. did like a not. Like, no. Okay. I can't remember what you're... What Nightcrawler is a 2014 this. American thriller film written and directed by Dan Gilroy. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal... <laughs> Nightcrawler... <laughs> Nightcrawler is a 2014 American thriller film written and directed by Dan Gilroy. <laughs> okay. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> as Lewis Unbelievable. Blue, a stringer who records. <laughs> no one else finds this funny. Why do I find this funny? You need okay. to stop. Okay. okay. <laughs> It stars Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> you are unbelievably We're spastic. Lose so many fans. Okay, there's so many fans. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal as Lewis Bloom, a stringer who records violent events late at night in Los Angeles and sells the footage to a local television news station. You can't be doing that. You can't be doing that. <laughs> Rene Russo, Riz Ahmed, and Bilbach Paxton also star. A common theme in the film is the symbiotic relationship between unethical journalism and consumer demand. Yeah, that's good. Okay, yeah. Um, Can I get Kleenex after that, please? Yeah, you... Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Ah! <laughs> I'm so giddy. Okay, yeah, start your review so that I don't have to talk. So Night Nightcrawler is a kind of strange, uh, strange film. It's referred to a lot of the time as a kind of, um, I hate this phrase because it's so overused, but it is referred to as the spiritual successor or the spiritual sequel to um, Taxi, Driver. Taxi Driver by Martin Scorsese starring Robert De Niro, which I think is probably one of... I think, uh, not only is it one of my favorite films of all time, I think it is, it's got to be one of the best films of all time, and it's exemplary in terms of a character study. It's solipsism, it's um, sociopathy, it's view on the world, and that sort of thing. So in that way, I think it is actually a really nice, it's not, it's not derivative in any way at all, but it's a really cool pairing it would make a fantastic double bill with taxi driver just make sure kids you're medicated you know what i'm saying okay no so i don't <laughs> so it was made for a phenomenally small budget i believe 8.4 million yeah i can check um, that I a think very right, small though. budget especially for like 2014 a modern film it is kind of insane 8.5 um and, and it took 50 at the box office yeah so it, yeah it's slaughtered. huge success did it win awards too I'll look at that. It must have. It must have gotten a couple Academy Awards. Uh, it, it, it follows the character of Lou Bloom around as he as he does increasingly questionable or alarming things in in the name of getting the scoop. 
and it's not even getting the scoop that he appears to be interested in. I, and throughout the film, you question what he is even interested in. My goodness. That was me turning my dad on. I could tell. That's okay. You start to question what he is interested in. It is a classic character study and is one of the strongest character studies that's ever been committed to film, I think. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is truly creepy in, yeah. in the role as Lou Bloom. And it's not that overplayed creepiness that is rife through film. The melodramatic kind of, you know, flaring eyes, although that is there. The flaring eyes and the, you know, um, predatory kind of uh, behavior. He, just his his soft voice and his kind of like wide window-like eyes his his arms they hang just kind of by his sides he's barely out he of seems a little off step he's barely off but it's such an affecting performance and if if you're not a, you know a believer in Jake Gyllenhaal as an actor this will floor you i really want to watch the film of him as a boxer now yeah that would be interesting that, you should watch Donnie Darko he stars in Donnie Darko I what as well it's called but um he he's he is a phenomenal actor, and this completely proves it. This this you know it makes your career, your reputation as an actor, ironclad. Mm-hmm. Having one performance like this, and I do believe he's done more than more than one. I think he's fantastic at Donnie Darko as well. But he 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 just has this air about him, this kind of lean, aggressive, sleepless air. Of of something that's not quite human, somebody who is you know detached morally and like spiritually from everything that's going on around him, in the midst of you know vehicle accidents, and nothing is more visceral and painful and frightening than than the the scenes that unfold before him, and nothing nobody is more detached. And numb than him to it all. Yeah, this is not to say that he's a numb person. He's very like lively in a lot of senses, but he's just completely devoid of emotion mm-hmm. towards these people. And mirroring that in a beautiful way is the soundtrack, which follows his emotions, especially at some key points where he makes some pivotal decisions that affect how how the, how the rest of the events will turn out we hear like euphoric rising in this kind of like ambient swell as he does something really really questionable mm-hmm. you know like almost laugh out loud questionable where you go what you, nobody would do that but the score is just just this like i said this euphoric rise as he does this terrible thing and has a revelation about how he can now conduct his business the uh the um the visual contrasts are also similar it is that turns very very distant from people it is distant from the events that he sees when he um there is a scene looking into a restaurant that's all i'll say that is very very distant and it's contrasted with extreme close-ups of Lou Bloom and his 
assistant Rick in the car. Very, very, you know, not quite like Kurosawa or Sergio Leone close-ups where, you know, all you get is like the nose and the eyes, but, you know, uh, close-ups of the face. Yeah, portrait, portrait photography, portrait shooting. And these are the contrasts that we see in the uh, movie. The script is phenomenal with a really, really rich variation between characters. These are characters that were well-written and well-performed from Rene Russo, mm-hmm. that's her name, who plays the um, like TV... She's not like a TV personality. She, she makes she the news. The sta- she runs yeah. the station. From her to Rick, played by Riz Ahmed, who is also fantastic. Super good. Yeah. Really good. To Lou Bloom. These are really believable characters when you take them and just consider them on their own. And, and there's no bleed like you sometimes get in a film where characters are different sides of the same coin. You can totally believe that these are completely different people. Because mm-hmm. they're so well written... They're so well cast and they're so well performed on on you know every every various level uh, and and following up on that Lou Bloom doesn't talk he doesn't speak like anybody would really speak with this very clipped precise you know almost Eager. encyclopedic kind of like he's reading from a manual uh-huh. or something like that all the time that's how he always talks. And nobody would really talk like that, but because it's smartly written and brilliantly performed by Jake Gyllenhaal, and the film never really breaks character, it really works. Uh, I th- I think it's a I think it's a great film. I know of almost nobody who would disagree. It's a very it's commonly held that it's one of the better films of the of the last you know ten twenty years, and I can totally see why. It's modest in its scope, um, but rich within that. The scenes of, is it California where it's set or LA? Well, like, like, I don't know. I think it's LA. The scenes are, you know, bleary-eyed, like Taxi Driver, when you get these kind of lurid, uh, fantastic visions of a city at night and the things that go on there, um, and then the visceral scenes scenes that they encounter at you know the scenes of accidents and that sort of thing really nice cinematography but very understated uh i just think it's a really cohesive really wonderfully made movie about something really horrific but uh, yeah it's it's fantastic it's a great movie this uh document program i use on my phone like every time you close the program then you open it again it counts it as like they recovered your documents mm. I guess if you didn't save any change but it counts the number of times it drives me insane so I opened it just now and it said WPS um, has recovered your documents 25 times it's like bruh who's counting um, so about half halfway through the movie we stop for our you know like Chicago mix break I remarked to Dad, who watched it with us and also enjoyed it, which is a ringing endorsement. He, the, you um, know Dad enjoys a film, or or anything, when he brings it up to you unprompted the next day. That's true. Which he did to me. There you go. Um, 
I said to Dad that it's when you think about it, it's really rare to find a film that like gets your adrenaline going, something that's like intense without all these car chases, shootouts, all these like life threatening events, without things that should get your pulse racing. Um and even though Lou Bloom's profession isn't without danger, most of the tension in the film comes from us watching the character, not from the tense events that take place. Um his performance is super unsettling and I kind of disagree with you that nobody talks like that because he's billed, this isn't a spoiler, it's like right from the start basically. He's an yeah. absolute sociopath, so I think he's just so bizarre that it sells it for me. There's a scene very early in the movie before he takes up uh, his profession of nightcrawler where he tries to get a work at like a scrapyard or something like that and that really set the tone for me. Because I don't even think he really wanted to be the Nightcrawler. I just think he's so... He just doesn't care. And that's he's, what that's even scarier. Because it's not that he's psychotic or whatever. It's just that he's like, eh, whatever. You know, work at a junkyard. Film all these dead people. Like, what's the difference? You know? No, it's true. And he doesn't... You know, all he really... It's And that's the thing. You watch the film. And from start to finish, you don't know what he wants. Mm-hmm. Well, that's... I don't think he knows what he wants, and that's what I find freaky, because if there's a guy who's, take the Joker, or whatever, who's a super cool character, he's not, he might be scary, but he's not unsettling like this, because he clearly enjoys this a ton, and you're like, well, he's just messed up. But with Lou Bloom, he views everything with this detachment that is really scary, because you get the impression that he would view killing someone as, you know, not a big deal. Yeah. Even though he's not a murderer. Um, I know, but... Yeah. Fair. Let's see. I had kind of mixed feelings about the look of the film initially, and I mentioned that to you, I think, at the halfway break, too. The cinematography itself, I would never call into question. I wouldn't put it on a pedestal with the very best, but I think it's certainly above average. Um, The shots were really well-balanced, I noticed, um, held the eye for a long time. There wasn't a lot of motion outside of the main characters compared to look at something like a Kurosawa film, and there's always motion in the background, raindrops yeah. running down a window. Although, I think the lack of motion kind of helped it feel a bit more like a dead film, you know? Where it's just, like, slow and creepy in well, a good it's, way. It's, like I said, solipsistic. It's very much about the individual or the, a solitary mm-hmm. But what I initially questioned was this massive discrepancy in color palette between nighttime and daytime, um, where you'd see the same place under a bright light at night and then just during day, and it would look massively different. Like, I don't know. I mean, they, they just did it differently in post, I guess, because I don't even think the lighting would do anything like that. But what I started to realize is there's like this duality in the film that you mentioned a little bit, so I won't go into huge detail with... <clears throat> Sorry, I mean, I, I, I would just say we're, we're all familiar with, you you know, a place you've driven through or passed a hundred times in the day, yeah. and you drive past it in the night, and you might not even know where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it really did grow on me in the end, and I think it's a good thing, and it kind of highlights, like, everything's different. You look at the characters, even daytime to night, I think they react differently, um... And I think the look really changes as 
the more sinister parts of the film take place. And I thought that was a really cool touch, whether it was intentional or whether I just kind of made it up. Um, on this podcast, one of the things I talk about like every week to the point of exhaustion is like bloat in albums or films. We were talking about that with uh, Ghost Story, how I like shake a film and a bunch of time comes out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but one thing what I will say loss. is this film has death. a pretty big running time. It's 117 minutes, so a little on the fat side of average, slightly. Um, but I don't think there's really anything you can cut from it. No, I like, really it don't had, think so. It had no noticeable fat, which is huge in terms of the element of immersion. Because at no point did I go like, okay... Um, and that was one of the big problems we had with Ghost Story, right? It would have been so much better if or you had like, Or like a hero. Yeah, for sure. If you hadn't sat there going like, okay, come on, hurry up. Well, the thing is, when you get out of step with a story, mm-hmm. that's when... You, you, I mean, you, you you come out of the experience. Yeah. Um, I did actually have a couple issues with the film, though, that were noticeable. Like, it's a movie. I don't know. My biggest problem was... It's... I have... Hold on. Let me just say, I have one of my pet peeves written down here. I've scribbled a little marker behind, beside it because I forgot to mention it. I'll be... Not surprised at all if it's the same. I think same, I have two niggles that I've listened. It's the same, same thing that you um, highlight. The biggest one I would say was like an inconsistent realism. Like mostly the film is grounded and that's part of its appeal. You know, like most of the events in the film could pretty plausibly take place in real life. It's not too far-fetched to believe. Not really, no, um, not at all. But especially towards the end, I feel like a few of the plot devices were too far out there and we commented on that. Um, specifically really towards the end. And I think it did weaken kind of that trust that the first two-thirds of the movie built, where it was like, trust me, this could happen, you know? Um, yeah, we'll talk I, about that off the podcast. I don't think that there's anything in that movie that couldn't happen. Um, I also thought that there was one action scene that was totally shoehorned into the movie, and I really didn't think it needed to happen. And it more was like, all right, well, we got to have one intense thing, Um and I feel like that took away from the suspense the rest of the film brought up. Um, mm-hmm. Can I just say, yeah. kind of throughout the movie, there are three violent encounters. Mm-hmm. There's one in a mansion, there's one in a restaurant, and then there's one at the very end. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I don't know, it is one of those the one that you're mentioning that felt shoehorned? No. Okay, because I think with those three, it's important to note that Lou Bloom becomes physically closer to the violence with every encounter. Interesting. That's true. Um, I do have one more thing that I want to say that I really liked about it, and then I'll wrap up. And I think that that's genius. Sorry. Um, we talk probably more off the podcast than on it about how suggestion often trumps like uh like show don't tell i forget totally. i forget what the it's total su- thing is it's such a um, it's such a overused but it's true yeah and this movie did that so well in terms of not having like there's no sexual content um but there are references to it and i think that was way more unsettling <laughs> it was like so- Oh, I um, literally just got chills. Yeah. Not good There's chills. that. Um, 
violence in the movie is not huge. I mean, it's I wouldn't watch it around small children, but it's not like Pulp Fiction or whatever. No. But at the same time, it's still comes off as graphic just because of the sparsity of it. Like, you see something and you're like, whoa. And so I think that that was a huge success on the part of this movie. It didn't go over the top. And I feel like that's probably its greatest asset. So overall, I mean, I thought it was super good, too. Going into it, I thought I would like it. We watched it on a whim. We were all settled in. It was like a great viewing experience. Although it's largely a piece of entertainment, of course, it's a movie, I also thought it had some interesting commentary, like how we said about like the unsavory journalism that's sometimes required to feed the public, and we see this a lot in the current political com Aye. in the current political climate with lots of people skewing the facts or making things up to get clicks and to try and get support. And I think that this movie had something really interesting to say about that. Mm-hmm. Additionally, I thought it also had interesting points that it made about people's drive for their careers and the negative effects that can have even if it's a extreme example i still think that there are actually a lot of parallels if less criminal ones between like lou bloom's activity and a lot of people who further their careers kind of at any cost like at the cost of your family or your mental health or whatever i think that's a huge problem And so I actually think that the film went a little bit beyond what it had to in terms of entertainment um, and posed some difficult questions if you're willing to kind of look for them. But yeah, it was phenomenal. Yeah, it's a great movie. What was your pet peeve? My pet peeve was just the um, television presenters in the station. Sometimes when they, just the way they behaved on air seemed like a little like, yeah, a TV presenter wouldn't say that. Like or they what? wouldn't Is it do it spoiler? In that or way. Can you say? Um, when they're when they're there, it's a pivotal point in the film when they're, you know, it's right in the middle, and Lou Bloom has just scored this unbelievably good footage, and they're walking. The TV presenters are oh, doing yeah, like a yeah, commentary yeah. on the footage yeah. as it's happening. And it's just kind of a weird. They're like, it doesn't it this? Do- is, this isn't what they're saying, but this is the extent of it. They're like, he is walking upstairs. Okay, he it has, he has like opened the a, door. There is a bloody shoe in the yeah, hallway. Stuff like that. And I can just imagine somebody's foot being cut off and left inside yeah, that shoe. It's like wait, it's just it's like what? what? That's it's true. Just, That's a good it, point. It, that bothered me just because, like we were saying... It broke that immersion of realism, right? A little bit, yeah. I mean, not enough to make me go... No, you know, but enough but to kind of make you go, like, what? It did. <laughs> it does make me go... It, it was making me go, would they show that? Would they say that on the news? Would they show that on the news? I don't think so. Is it an American news yeah. thing? I don't know. And it just was making me think about things that weren't that the were movie. outside yeah. of the movie. So that was my... Really, that was my only... The only thing that I watched and went, it seems like, and in no uh, arena is journalism more poorly represented than film. You know, yeah, journalists will tell you that for sure. Are we uh, done? I do believe we are done. This has been a nice episode. So we have kind of plans for the next episode. I kind of want to change them a bit. What I want to do is the double bill of the lemon twigs and the Beatles. We're not going to do that. Why not? Because we got to do Boarding House Reach by Jack White. 
Can we do Boarding House Reach by Jack White and the Lemon Twigs? Um, I just I maybe well perhaps. hang on. What, what else let's was crack on? Open it. They would be um, so good to do with the Beatles. Well, they might be good to do with the they Beatles, would be. but um. Remember, if you have any topic ideas, you can send them into thegoodshipbrothership at gmail.com or you can message us on our Facebook page, which is the Good Ship Brothership. Um, and yeah, one day maybe we'll get our YouTube channel updated too, and then you could even comment. You can comment on one of our old videos with topic suggestions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go back to episode four. Okay, so what was our next thing going to be? Do we not have it built? Or no, we never did that. Okay, so we're gonna do Boarding House Reach by Jack White. Album for that just sure. came out. Mm-hmm. Go check it out if you haven't already. Do it. Boarding House Reach. So I'm just thinking, guys. Thanks. Cut me some slack. Um Why don't we just look off air like when we have internet, because I want to see other things that have come out recently as well. Yeah, could do. Okay. I guess that's it. Bye, everybody. <laughs> what? Isn't that it? Yeah, that is pretty much it, though. For real. Thank you. Tell please, your friends. Please, please do write in. Uh, we need more people writing in. And Although we you, don't really know if, if you've you written did, in or not. If you did write in and we didn't respond or say anything in this episode, oops. Uh, if you let's let's do this. If you've made it this far, you can PM us on Facebook or you can email us at thegoodshipbrothership at gmail dot com and say, "Sweaty sponge, sweaty sponge, sweaty sponge, super sweaty sponge." Yeah, sweaty sponge, sweaty sponge, super sweaty sponge. And if you message us that. In any way, if you get it to us in any way at all. You can phone us. Yeah, you can telephone us if you want to. We will give you a prize. Okay. An undis- a completely undisclosed prize. Is it a real prize? Do you know what it is? No. Okay, we'll find something for you. Yes. Have a good week, everybody. Happy Easter. Peace out. We love you all. Thank <laughs> you.